It's time for another episode of JJ Leroy's favorite podcast. This week, we're talking about Yuri on Ice fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phanthropological. My name is Nick G, and uh, I'll say, start off with saying thank you for listening to the podcast, especially those new listeners that have come in on Spotify uh, since we've gotten up there. If you want to take a moment and smash the phone button just quietly uh, while we start, <laughs> uh, we'd really appreciate that. But thank you for listening. Today, we're talking about fans of the anime sensation Yuri on Ice, and here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. You have to do the opposite of what people expect. How else will you surprise them? <laughs> You thought I was going to go with, ah, ah, you knew what I was going to do. <laughs> did surprise the element of surprise. Uh-huh. Uh, Nick Z. Well, I can't do a sow cow, but I sure can spell one. Ah, okay. All right. All right, all right, all right, all right. Special guest joining us today, co-host, Yuri on Ice Wednesdays. We have a fourth Nick on the show. It's Nicola. Hey, it's JJ Style. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta do it with a big build on it. It's JJ style. <laughs> there you go. That's how you do it properly. Oh my goodness. He has the most Quebecois name I've ever heard. It is, isn't it? It's just so hilarious. But the funny part is he actually uh, is from Toronto. Oh yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Fun fan fact. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like a really Canadian thing too, though, right? It's like, we'll pick the city that people might know about. It's, it's Toronto. It's fine. Yeah, it was, it was going to be either Toronto or Vancouver, probably. So. Not Montreal? Uh, oh, oh, God. I can, get, I can get into why it is Toronto if you really want to right now. All there right, are well, reasons it was Toronto, ooh. but... Uh, we'll put a pin in it for one second. Okay, yeah, let, me just, exactly. let me just make a note. Why is JJ <laughs> from Toronto? All right. I want to know why that is. We will yeah. come back to that. There is a reason. There is a reason. Okay. In case you're listening to this podcast and you do not know what the heck Yuri on Ice is, I'm not sure that I can be of much help to you, but uh, I'm going to get us started with the tiniest bit of background on Yuri on Ice before deferring to our expert, I'm sure. Yuri on Ice is a 12-episode anime series following Katsuki Yuri and his competitive figure skating career. The series is produced by MAPPA, directed by Yamamoto Sayo, who has also directed Michiko and Hachin, Woman Called Fujiko Mine, some episodes of Samurai Champloo and Space Danny, and many, many other things, and is written by Kubo Mitsuro. I decided to take a quick peek and to see how popular Yuri on Ice is, and the one thing that I learned, which was not surprising, was it's been crazy popular since it's came out there was a huge spike in interest between october 2016 and december 2016 uh and then interest has not been as rabid as during that period but uh has been consistent nonetheless i look up google trends data and try to find out how popular it is in different countries if i was to ask what do you think is the most popular country searching for yuri on ice what would everybody say russia here we are russia <laughs> I'd say probably like Mexico. Okay, Ooh. Mexico. All right. I'm going to say the Philippines. Okay. So in order, Japan, not super surprising there. Taiwan, Hong Kong, Philippines, mm. uh. <laughs> Chile, Singapore, Russia. Uh. Oh, no. Mexico. Uh. Oh, yes. Thank God. <laughs> At least it's there. 
yeah. Puerto Rico and Hungary. For reference, Canada is 16th, United States Whoa. is 18th, and Australia is 22nd. <laughs> there was a fan survey that I found that was run by a person, Kai Kai Elbrook. I found this on the Yuri and Ice subreddit. There are about 2,000 respondents. Surprising to me, most of the people that watch Yuri on Ice that responded to the survey were under the age of 18. It was like 50% oh. folks under the age of 18. Mm. Oh. Like more specifically, 30% 16 to 18, 23% 13 to 15. Really? Yep. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I wouldn't say that corroborates with uh, my real life experiences or the Japanese fan base at all. But I mean, for Reddit, mm. I think that's a good cross section probably. So I've never been to the Yuri on Ice subreddit. If it's any consolation, <laughs> I don't know. That's fair. I don't know anyone who does. So. Oftentimes, we pull the data from where we can find it, not because we're necessarily part of the communities. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. It reminds me of when I went to see Muse. Oh, oh, the band. I feel like yeah. the percentages were similar for the age groups, and I was like, "What? Yeah. <laughs> Am I in the wrong place?" <laughs> Well, it's always kind of surprising because it's like there's online presence. It depends on what platform you're on. But then if you go to something like real life events, it's often startlingly different, you know? Yeah. Based on different things like even like things like, you know, if you have kids out of that age, they are much less likely to go to say a live event or a collaboration event than a, like a grown adult because mm-hmm. they simply do not have the money or time because they're children. Yeah. But I'm not surprised. I, I'm not surprised at all by that demographic uh, via Reddit. So I think it's moot to say young women are the main audience, for sure. Okay. So okay. Well, then this next part will not come as a surprise. It's only surprising to me because most of the data we find from Reddit is very male-dominated. And in this case, the largest group by gender was female, 79%. The next largest group was male at 5%. Still figuring it out at 4%. Gender fluid at 4%. And then there was a variety of other responses in that that spectrum of um, non-binary, etc. So a lot of like very specific subgroupings in there. There was also some other interesting data from the demographic survey. Most popular character, Victor, 35%. Uh, Yuri, 31%. Uh, other, oh shoot, I should have qualified that. Yuri, 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 Katsuki. <laughs> Yuri Katsuki with 31%. Yuri Plasetsky with 15%. Favorite ship, Victory, 89%. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and just keep nodding and totally unsurprised. <laughs> keep going. I can validate this okay. information. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Correct. <laughs> One of the questions asked was, were you interested in ice skating before and after watching Yuri on Ice? 41% were what I called converts, people who were not interested in figure skating and now are. 37% were interested and that didn't change. 11% were not interested, and that didn't change. Interesting. They also had a category for fan contributions, and 27.8% contribute in the form of memes. <laughs> <laughs> Nicola, how much of the fandom is memes? Well, when the series is airing, I would say 50 to 60% of it was memes. <laughs> oh. uh, these days, uh, not so many memes, but I mean, they still have a foothold. There's a lot of in jokes and like oh there's so many there was just so many when the show was airing it was like hard to keep up with the amount of memeing that was happening and again like cross-platform you go between like twitter and like 4chan and tumblr and i'm sure reddit had their own memes as well but 
it was amazing. It was truly a phenomenon <laughs> at the time for memes, but that's just my opinion from the meme point of view. So there's been a lot of people, I think maybe particularly younger audiences, like moved on to different things just because, you know, it's been a long time. It's been almost two years since the series aired. Mm-hmm. Well, there's potential for there to be a resurgence, I guess, because uh, the uh, they finally got a release date on the film. More than a year ago now, there was a film that was announced that a lot of people hadn't heard about uh, somehow. It was an- announced at a live event, and they didn't announce like a, a time frame or anything for it. So that was actually announced only like a month and a half ago. They announced it would be in uh, 2018. So, And they're aiming for an international release. So when I say maybe it'll get a resurgence, it, I think it's highly based on whether they'll be able to get a simultaneous international release for the film which hasn't really been done before in the history of uh, animated film so much. It's mm-hmm. not really a thing that happens. Yeah. But it set a few precedents before, so I'm pretty sure it could set this as another precedent. So we will see. If there was any show that was born to make history, it would be Yuri on Ice. Oh. <laughs> okay, look, look. Somebody had to make that before we got through this episode. Okay. It's done now. We yep, don't talk now. about that anymore. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Perfect. I will not. I also quickly looked up kind of how popular it was in terms of fanfics. There are almost 30,000 fanfics on Archive of Our Own. 32% are teen and up, 28% general audience, 19% explicit. Top three categories, male, male, 89%. General, 9%. Female, male, 5%. Top three tags, fluff, 25%. Angst, 10%. And alternate universe, 8%. Wow. Almost all of these take place in the Yuri on Ice universe. There are very few crossovers with other series. The highest one that I saw was like a hundred of those fics were about like Haikyuu or Free or Kurosuke's Basketball. But like most of them are just strictly Yuri on Ice fics. No, like Yuri becomes pilot of an Ava or anything like that <laughs> I'm sure there's like one or two of those somewhere I know there's definitely <laughs> as a big Evangelion fan there's also there's a lot of there was a lot of Yuri crossover Evangelion fan out that actually exists really if you look for it yeah unfortunately I guess there's no fix but you know I mean there, there could have been because it just shows me like them sorted by rank and it shows like the top five or top ten yeah so maybe yeah. buried way down near the bottom there's like two or three <laughs> fix there's just like lots of plug suit, plug suit art, you know. It was popular. I think it was like a trending thing. It was on. It started on Chu Chan. It was a meme. I feel like we don't have a lot of information <laughs> on what percentage of any given fandom is memes. So I don't know if that's like way outside or if that's huh? about average. It's like a transient thing, though. It's yeah. like you know you can't judge the percentage of meme by any one moment in time. I mean, I think meme days are over now, so. <laughs> I wish that was still around. Jesus, it was so fun. But, oh, well. So we have the announcement of the movie. Everything like that. But, like, kind of before that, after the series had ended, what was happening in the fandom? After the series ended? Yep. So after the series ended, for those who haven't watched Shuri on Ice, basically the last episode ended on a cliffhanger and basically showed a panel that said, see you next level. Uh, so a lot of people had speculated that that was to do with the season two because the show had become so incredibly popular during its airing. Like during the first few episodes, I believe it wasn't actually that particularly popular, but after a few episodes in it, it had a massive spike in popularity. 
So by the time it got to the end, it was kind of like a phenomena and it had been referenced by a lot of real life figure skaters. It had collaboration events with real life figure skating events. It had a lot of um, sort of unprecedented like merchandising collaborations and stuff like that. So people were really expecting like basically just a flat out season two announcement sometime in the, the following six months. Obviously that never happened. And I think a lot of people are still a little bit salty about it. <laughs> but what happened about less than a year later, so November of the, the following year, that was when they announced that they had been working on a film from within the time they were actually producing the series. So there was, I think, like I said, a bit of a drop off in interest because people, you know, they were expecting a season two sort of straight away. And I think that's kind of a very Western sort of mentality because like <laughs> if you watch Western cartoons, if you watch like Voltron or something, like you have a season that comes out every like three months or something, it's crazy. <laughs> but this is a standalone work. It's not based on a manga. So there's no precedent for it. So it's a lot more difficult just to like shove out a season two. So instead they're working on an original film. And I think a lot of people, there was a, sort of a mix up in understanding that there was a film coming out I think a lot of people weren't aware um, I think a lot of it depends on where you get your information because all the official information comes via Japanese Twitter and for a long time they didn't do anything in English up until quite recently when they started to do basically all their posts in multiple different languages including like Russian and Spanish and everything like that um, so I think now most of the fandom is aware that there is a film. So I think most people who are still around are hyped for the film. So that's kind of what's happening now is this like blue waiting for more information on the film. So yeah, that's what happened. What's happened after it finished. So we've been hanging out ever since. <laughs> it seemed like it was just like, like 12 weeks, like just like absolutely catching fire. And by the time it like really big, it was over. Yeah. I only got to it after the fact, I'm pretty sure. I'd be like, oh, it seems like it's cool. I'll watch just before the second season or something like that. And then that didn't really happen. I'm just like, oh, I better watch it. And then it was great and over that fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it was like, and the pacing was also kind of a mile a minute as well hmm. for a lot of the actual series. Um, so I think, yeah, it was like a, for a lot of people who watched it casually, it's really quite flash in the pan. And it was only 12 episodes, not like 13 or two core or anything. So it just got, it got that runtime. And so if you kind of stay out of the loop of everything else, um, like you, you wouldn't be aware of any of the other stuff that's going on. So since then, they've done like a live orchestral event um, that's like housed more than 10,000 people. They've done that in a couple of different cities in Japan. They've done a museum and costume exhibit with the ballet and figure skating costume making company Chicot, who collaborated with the producers of the show to make all of the costumes. They had designed them originally. So they were put into a museum along with a lot of like preliminary artwork and prototypes and stuff like that. So that museum did a run last year because I was there last year in Japan. And then it also went to Taiwan and then it came back to Japan and now it's doing a multi-city uh, loop in Japan with all of those costumes and prototypes and stuff like that. There's been a couple of like voice acting events, like that kind of, I don't really keep up with those type of ones, but those are other things that have been happening. And also there's been collaborations with um, major figure skating events. So that's a big part mm -hmm. of Yuri on Ice. Oh, well, it's figure skating is the main part of Yuri on Ice. And I like self-identify as a figure skating fan. So um, that's something I like to keep up with a lot. So besides all the um, appearances of figure skaters in actual show, 
Yuri and I collaborated with our World Team Trophy, which is a major end-of-season competition uh, that takes place in Japan. So they collaborated with them in 2016. So that was like sort of a big event for Yuri and Ice then. And then obviously we've had this Olympic season, so no one can do anything because Olympic copyright. Uh, but coming oh. up this season, there's already been um, just a couple of days ago, um, a rink in Japan, a local figure skating group has also collaborated with Yuri and Ice. So we're expecting more real life figure skating competition collaborations in the future. I think it's safe to say. So yeah, that's kind of the stuff, the activity that's been happening since the series finished that I think a lot of people, you know, if you're not on the dot with it, you wouldn't see that stuff happening. I just don't think so. So you're obviously like very knowledgeable about the different goings on from now to then and a lot of the intricacies of the series. What was it about Yuri on Ice that that really kind of hooked you? Because like a lot of anime, you know, they get a, a season, maybe a movie, and then it fades into obscurity. And Yuri on Ice is definitely not that crunchyroll had its first inaugural anime awards and yuri on ice won seven of the 14 <laughs> awards Sweet. so much salt so <laughs> many salty people those <laughs> crunchyroll awards <laughs> yeah. so what is it about the show that keeps yourself and, and other fans like hooked especially given that it's been so long waiting for the movie the, the movie that supposedly will be released sometimes next year yeah <laughs> There's a few different ways to answer this question. I'll answer it sort of from my perspective first, which is um, when I first found out about the series, I was living in Canada at the time, and I live very close to uh, Calgary Olympic Park. You guys are Canadian. You should know where that is. <laughs> it's in Calgary. Yeah, it's in Calgary. Correct. There was an Olympics <laughs> there in 1988. It was very famous for a lot of uh, figure skating at the time. There was at the Brian vs. Brian Battle of Canada. Um, anyway, look that up. <laughs> but long story short, I was living in Canada, which obviously has a bit more of a figure skating culture than Australia. So it was something I was more familiar with at the time. And then during that period, um, Endless Nights, which is an animation short, was released at Japan Animators Expo, I believe. So people would recognize it because it's, you know, the short me, me, me. It was like a meme kind of at the time, mm -hmm. that animation short explicit animation short i think uh, like anno like the director of evangelion was somehow involved in oh. so during that same festival this short called endless night was released which is basically a like a three minute short directed by sai yamamoto that had figure skating in it long story short if you want to go look at it it's very good uh but i was like oh that's interesting and then I found out after the fact that they were actually producing a figure skating anime and i was like at the time i was just like oh that's interesting but for me, what really kept me hooked is, well, the absolute first thing was that it's not set in high school. Mm. And I am not a high school student, so obviously I find it, I, I like high school stuff, like anime stuff, but for me as a, like, someone in their 20s, like, I was like, oh, it's an anime about someone in their 20s. And it had this very, like, real feeling to it. It doesn't really have many of those anime tropes, I guess, in it, like, just the way it's directed like it doesn't really have a, a super big anime feel to it. It's a little bit more real life-y, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then there's all these like little figure skating aspects in it that like really draw you in. And then ultimately, it's a very strong reflection of like actual figure skating culture. So by sort of keeping up with the show, you're also in a way keeping up with the figure skating that was happening at the time, which I think was that, well, I could talk more about it, was that kind of 
part of the overall aim of the show because uh, it's produced and aired on the same channel that was airing the Grand Prix figure skating series. Oh, and the show itself is about the Grand Prix figure skating series. Tactical marketing. <laughs> but yeah, it really hooked you in with like just the, the whole package of characters being wonderful and designed wonderfully. Um, the skating itself, the choreography is by a real life, very famous uh, figure skating choreographer called Kenji Miyamoto who does choreography for, like, Olympic athletes. Like, he was in the Olympics, like, in Calgary as an ice dancer. Obviously, the character relationships are really important, and, like, the relationship between Victor and Yuri was, like, super engaging uh, for a lot of people. And I know a lot of people, like, without that, they probably wouldn't give a two hoots about the show. (laughs) So I think that was a big draw for a lot of people. But ultimately, it's just kind of this whole package of having an international cast of characters from lots of different places not just a Japanese people in high school, you know, that made it a lot more relatable to an international audience. And then putting that in like sort of a sports background, it just made it really, it's very different and it was really engaging. So for me, that's why I really liked it. So, and I'm, I'm sure like everyone has their different reasons. Some people are more on the figure skating side. Some people are more on the like relationship anime side but i think most people are somewhere in between so they enjoy aspects of sort of both of those like elements of the show it's like a perfect storm Mm. it was it was it's a sports anime it's a you know a, a fantastic romantic anime it's it's kind of got that new adult feel z but but the the ennui of being in your 20s you know not being in school anymore yeah when you say like a perfect storm, it's like a lot of people, I think, if they don't know about sort of the history of the show, and it's something that you wouldn't know unless like you know, like uh, me or my, my friend Jackie, who's the co-host of Yoyuense's uh, podcast, would read a lot of interviews, Japanese interviews with the director and stuff like that and get into the nitty gritty of that stuff. But basically, some people assume that, oh, it's just kind of happened and its success was just sort of like random. And the reality is it was a lot more planned out than that. So Saya Yamamoto, she's the director, and she was the one who made the series come to life. A lot of people attribute Mitsuro Kubo, uh, who's the writer, who collaborated heavily with it, but it wasn't her like brainchild. So um, Mitsuro Kubo, she's sort of the, the mouthpiece because she's very active on social media. Um, but Saya Yamamoto, who's the director, is very, very private. So she's always been very, very private. She doesn't have any social media. She never posts pictures of herself. She very rarely goes to events, even in Japan, or does interviews. And when she does, she's wearing big glasses. <laughs> so you can, you like, she's very mysterious. And she's always been that way through her whole career, even back when she worked, you know, on Champloo and stuff like that. So Sayo was actually a figure skating fan starting around 2010 in the Vancouver Olympics. And when she was directing a woman called Fujiko Minye series in 2012, basically after she had finished, she like said something like, she really had no passion to do anime anymore because all she cared about was figure skating because she was such a big figure skating fan. So she had proposed a figure skating anime to a few people and they basically just turned it down in the 2012-2013 period. They're like, well, we don't want to do that because we don't think it would be very successful. So later she was at the Sochi Olympics, just being there as a fan, and she got in contact with um, a producer from MAPPA because she was working with a different production company at the time. And basically, um, after the success of Yuzuru Hanyu, who's the two-time Olympic gold medalist, who's a Japanese guy, 
in Sochi that basically led to a boom in popularity in figure skating in Japan. It was already quite popular, but it became very, very popular. And then she was finally like greenlit to do this project. So it took from 2014 to 2016 to actually make Yuri on Ice. So that's a two-year period, which is quite substantially more than I think most standalone anime, simply because Mitsuro Kubo and Sai Yamamoto actually went to all the like real-life locations. They went to all the competitions. They, you know, talked to skaters, you know. They basically lived the fan experience, so they were able to deliver it through the anime. I think a lot of people are just like, oh, it's just like, you know, sort of random that it turned out really popular. It's like, no, well, they were planning it for years. Like, they went to extreme detail to make sure everything was right. And I think one of the main attributes to its success is that A, it appealed to an international audience, and B, it engaged with real-life figure skaters, and that was the best promotion it could have had because you have real-life figure skaters on Twitter and on Instagram posting about the show because they thought it was so amazing because it got every fine detail of figure skating and figure skating culture, like, correct. So I think a good example is... um. This is a little bit tech, but basically, so figure skating blades on the boots, they're not Mm -hmm. just built into the boot, right? They're actually screwed in. Mm. But for different skaters, they'll have A, they'll have different types of blades, and B, the actual screw position will be different. Mm. So in Yuri on Ice, for each skater, they all have their own different brand and make of blade that correspond to the real life ones. And they also have different screw placements for the bottom of their skates. So if you actually pause at very select points in the show, you'll actually see that each skater has these like very, I would say like insanely like <laughs> detailed things that a normal person like wouldn't even, even a figure skating fan, you would barely notice things like that. But they went to like that level of meticulous effort to make the show like that. And I think that's a big part of its success because it's like details that you may not notice at first, yeah. but kind of build on like why it's like so interesting. You know, especially for people who are fans of figure skating or figure skaters themselves who've contributed significantly to the show or success of the show. That was an interesting thing that I'd read about the show too, that it's like, oh, you know, this show had significantly more key animators than most programs. And I mean, if you're going to include those details, like they have to show up somewhere. You can't uh, just do them in the in-betweens. Well, it was kind of controversial at the time, actually. For instance, I know the exact graph you're talking about, but... um. It was airing the same season as uh, Hibike Euphonium 2, for instance, which is produced by Kyoto Animation. And Kyoto Animation had like oh, something like like six key animators or something per episode. It was like very small. And Yuri had like 30 or something, like on average per episode. And part of that is to do with the way MAPPA works as a studio. It's a lot different from Kyoto Animation. But a lot of it is also to do with a lot of the animation came down incredibly last minute. Because the production of the show was basically a little bit of a nightmare because they were producing it week to week. But Sai Yamamoto, who's the director and is very meticulous, was basically like, I don't want to cut any of the figure skating because we put all this effort into choreography and like accurate choreography. So they all those scenes have to stay. You cannot cut them out. So you have to animate them. So what happens is you bring in a bunch of external people. They pull people off other MAPPA projects for this because they weren't making their deadlines to finish these scenes and so a lot of people are like oh the animation gets a bit (laughs) a little bit janky (laughs) toward the middle of the series it's like that's why uh because basically because long story short they they weren't prepared to cut any of that choreography or any of that because it's music choreography the costume all those elements that were from real life figure skating 
professionals. Like it was all like bespoke, so they weren't going to cut any of it. So they brought in all these external animators to make to make these crazy deadlines. So um, I wouldn't say that it's like more cooks spoil the broth or whatever. You know, mm. it doesn't necessarily mean it was good, but when it worked, it worked. But you know, and luckily they did release with the Blu-rays. They corrected obviously a lot of those <laughs> a lot of those problems, but it is something that comes up a lot is uh, the animation in Yuri on Ice, and that is the context that I certainly don't have whenever I'm looking at various anime. Because if I'm watching like American shows on Netflix and stuff, I kind of I feel like I generally sort of have the context, like whether it's it's a small story or an auteur story versus twenty four episodes of something they're churning out. But I never get that maybe it's because i'm not investigating enough with anime they all kind of like they just come out of the ether <laughs> and, and are just another anime so like the fact that this is like like a real labor of love and is is not a long story it doesn't have 20 episodes of will they won't they tension and it. it's just like it's not episodic right it's just like a story that progresses through 12 episodes that uh contextualize it a lot better for me yeah, it's kind of mind-blowing, the whole thing, even. Like, they did what they did, because I think, at the end of the day, Sayamoto and Mitsokuba, they could have gotten away with bare, absolute bare minimum, I feel like. Like, a lot of people, they don't notice a lot of that time or that detail. A lot of people don't care about the choreography of the figure skating or whatever. Like, you know, I think for people who were outside of figure skating, for them, they wouldn't have cared about those details. But because they were the hardcore skater, is what they call like suke ota, like skating <laughs> otaku, um, they were like, <laughs> wanted to get it all right. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I don't think I'm alone in saying there was like quite a few people who um, you can get kind of annoyed sometimes when people kind of like pass over Yuri on Ice. They're just like, oh, it's just like that gay figure skating thing, right? And you're like, well. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit more to it than that. That is, you know, undoubtedly also a draw of Yuri on Ice, and I love it as well, but it's really the, the figure skating that makes it. Because, I mean, minute for minute, like, the show is, it's, like, you've watched the show, it's it's mostly skating. Oh, yeah. And I think that surprises a lot of people who see it sort of superficially and then go watch it, and they're like, oh, shit, it's actually a sports show. I was conned. <laughs> <laughs> And I think famously there's been some discussion around a lot of people saying, you know, is Yuri on Ice, is it a sports anime? Yeah. And I think some people are still on the fence about it. Uh, for me, I think it's kind of silly. I'm just like, why can't it be a sports anime and like a uh, romance, like journey? <laughs> why can't it be both? But for some people, it's really, they're just like, no, no, it doesn't count. Uh... But that plays into people not thinking figure skating as a sport, which is another. Oh, well, that. I mean, I feel like that's wrong. That's a different argument altogether. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I found out one day that a friend that I know could have gone professional as a figure skater. I look at the guy and I'm like, what? And then he goes into all this depth into what you actually need to be able to do as a figure skater. And he was just talking about the mechanics of like doing the, the spin. And I was just like, oh my goodness, that is so much. There was just like so much training and everything that goes behind it. So as you were talking about all the details that go into the anime, I'm like, that's really impressive. Yeah, like the actual programs themselves are all programs. Um, there's some, um, well, there's been rule changes uh, under the International Skating Union, sorry, since Euro and I said, but at the time, all of the rules and everything that the characters play to were all the rules that were set in the real life at the time. Like all their jump compositions and their lead ups to their jumps. 
and the the way they did the motions are accurate, even if sometimes not so well animated. They're all accurate. I Tanya, that film, that couldn't <laughs> even do that right. So I was like, you know, oh, yeah. it's valuable those those little details. And yeah, there's a lot of work that does go into figure skating in general. And I think you know, like you said, with the demographics, like I think it did make a lot more people interested in figure skating. I've heard some terms being thrown around how it's like. Euronice is saving figure skating, but <laughs> I would be very skeptical of those very blanket <laughs> blanket <laughs> statements. But I think it has made a lot of people more interested in it. And like even for me, like I said, I had a casual interest in figure skating. Like I didn't really know the rules. I knew like some of the skaters and it was fun to watch. But for me, after Euronice said, I was really like, oh my God, like to really appreciate the depth of this show, I have to go back and start learning more about figure skating to get that and now it's just like I've become the skater <laughs> like, it's it's all happened and I guess a lot of people like a lot of fans jokingly say that that was the director Sayo Yamamoto's aim was just to make more skater <laughs> <laughs> and I think it, it it's happened you talked about how like it seems to be there's a lot of young people interested in the show but like for instance I was at Four Continents figure skating championships earlier this year in Taiwan and most of the people who go to figure skating competitions are older ladies, let's just say. Like between maybe 35 and 60. <laughs> like that's the typical demography mm -hmm. um, for mm -hmm. figure skating sort of fans. I think you guys in your episode, you talked about that a lot as well. But there are a lot of younger women as well who, are, and, and men as well. And, you know, different people who go. But of the people, the younger people like in their late 20s or early 30s or whatever, you know, a lot of them are aware of Yuri on Ice, so you'll see a lot of them wearing like little Yuri on Ice like badges and stuff on their bags. And, you know, it's, there's a definite overlap that you can see uh, in sort of real life with these things. So it's sort of just an accepted part. If you're in that demographic, you know Yuri on Ice exists and most people are fans of it. So, and that, you know, and whether that's they or were already going to those competitions because they love figure skating and then they watch Yuri on Ice and love that as well, or whether because they were watching Yuri on Ice, more like like me, where I was watching Yuri on Ice and I was like, oh, I should just start going to competitions, you know. Okay. You mentioned at length how the figure skating is a key part of the success of Yuri on Ice. What do you think about, you know, the emotional content of the show? Because we have this show that starts off with a very insecure, fairly young figure skater who both learns to build his confidence and also happens to find someone that he loves and who loves him. How do you think that that factors into the popularity of the, the show? I think significantly, I think without that element, um, like the essentially the romance element in the show, it would not have reached sort of the, the height in popularity it did. Earlier, I kind of alluded to it, but... Um, and you can you can kind of see it, I guess, um, when you were looking at the popularity as well, that the popularity spiked in late October. Late October was when episode seven aired, and that was the episode with the with the kiss in it, the kiss between Victor and Yuri. That basically skyrocketed the popularity of the anime, not only overseas but also in Japan. So if you look at the Blu-ray pre-orders as well, so I can send you a graph if you want with that. But basically, you can see as soon as episode seven airs, the Blu-ray pre-orders just go through the roof it was like insane it was like a phenomena so i think the romance element plays so it's like but the thing is it's intrinsically you can't have one without the other they're intrinsically linked mm -hmm. and i think um for some people they try to separate the two 
You know what I mean? But I think it's like built into the plot so much that you can't really say like if it were anything else that wasn't figure skating but had that romance element that it would have been as popular or vice versa if it was just a sports show that didn't have the romance element, would it be as popular? And the answer is probably no. So it's like the perfect mix of those two things. I got into it for the figure skating. I stayed for the romance. So (laughs) (laughs) it's really fantastic how the creators were basically like, you know, they're very, if you've ever watched A Woman Called Fujiko Mine or Michikoto Hatchin, those are both anime directed by Sai Yamamoto. They have a female main character as a strong lady. And both of those shows investigate, like, sexuality and femininity and stuff like that. She's very, like, forward-thinking isn't the right word, but she's very um, progressive, I guess, compared to a lot of other anime directors. And I think just in general in Japan, that's not as much of sort of a mindset you get a lot. So, like, she really put that into Yuri on Ice as well. Uh, Even if it's more subtle than it is in some of her other work, like, and I think that's so, so important. And a lot of people have talked about, you know, why the representation of that relationship on your and ice is important. And a lot of people have debated over whether it actually is romance or it isn't romance. But I mean, I would like to think that if I watch the show that textually it's, that's a romance. So that's what I choose to believe. <laughs> I mean, I think a good lot of people would be on your side with that. I uh, I would be one of them. I think it's pretty, <laughs> but like because of like you know you got the sports, you got the, you have the romance, you have like character study, and it's only twelve episodes. It's a really good story, well told. And because of that, it's hard to paint as much with a genre brush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it were a novel written in English, it would be in the in the main general fiction section of chapters. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good way to to think about it. And I think, yeah, there's been a bit, again, sort of contention over this, like, should we call this BL, like, boys love, like, genre? And, like, uh, for me, I think the answer is no, because that's not what the show is about, you know? It's more broad than that. And then it becomes a question of some people are like, oh, well, some people are only interested in the show because it has that romance element in it, which I... Don't deny it all. I'm sure there are some people, it doesn't matter what that show would have been about, whether it was figure skating or farming or like, (laughs) I don't know, like cricket. Like they still would have watched it (laughs) if it had that element in it. But with it intertied together, like that's that's where the success comes from. Because there are a lot of other shows with like same-sex relationships and stuff like that, but they've never become nearly as popular as this one. So just attributing it to the romance, I think, is a little short-sighted. But it's something I've seen a lot of us, even in the anime sphere with like uh, different anime journalists saying stuff like that. And I'm always like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't reckon. <laughs> Do you think that those two elements, like the, the romance and the figure skating, work so well together? Because figure skating itself is sort of about this kind of elegant beauty that I guess some people might say is feminine. Other people might say is androgynous. Do you think that paired up with the romance, which is kind of like ambiguous itself, is what makes that pairing work? Like, is figure skating just the perfect sport to be uh, paired up here? I think that definitely is a part of it. And I'm going to take a moment to plug. So there's a podcast called In the Loop, which is a figure Mm -hmm. skating podcast that was started by some people I know. 
have they have a really good episode of gender identity and the history of that in Ooh. figure skating i highly recommend you listen to it yeah. it talks about some of those things uh but um it helps for sure and a lot of people like because they're just like oh figure skating so obviously it's a gay sport and it's just like well it's not figure skating is ridiculously conservative like the whole institution of it's run by older people because it's a sport that's mostly watched by people who are a little bit older so generally they're a bit more conservative so you'll be surprised that there's you know there's only a handful of openly gay figure skaters out there you know, like it's not common um and there is that element of femininity for female skaters for sure but for male skaters it's almost there's this weird dichotomy if you watch figure skating there'll be like these really coded masculine programs and like commentators will always talk about masculine figure skating and being able to achieve like quadruple jumps and these like indicators. Mm, yeah. No sparkles allowed, only suits, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, you know, very bland costumes. Huh. And then there's other skaters who just reject that obviously entirely. And they, I guess, almost play into that sort of, um, expectation of almost like like what we code as feminine like grace and elegance yeah i think that strange it's very well not strange but very unique aspect of figure skating i think it's definitely um if that didn't exist then that kind of romance in the show would seem a little bit more implausible maybe mm-hmm. but that's just my that's just like sort of my superficial opinion of it but because i'm not i'm not a scholar in gender <laughs> in figure skating <laughs> But yeah, um, I think it definitely does help that sort of groundwork that's already there in the figure skating community and it's getting mm-hmm. better. Um, and certainly having something like this, so a piece of popular media that positively portrays that is, I think, definitely, it's a positive. It doesn't work against the, the figure skating community at all. Yeah. All right. Why is he from Toronto? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to dive in there now. <laughs> Well, this is like, this is hypothesis. This isn't confirmed by creators. All right. Quotation marks around everything. Canada has a few different like figure skating hubs. Montreal is the main one. And Montreal is very famous because it has some very successful ice dance groups. Um, So figure skating is split up into men's, ladies. It's not called women's, it's called ladies. Because that's how conservative figure skating is. (laughs) Pairs skating and ice dancing. So pairs is basically you can throw your partner around. Ice dance can't do that. So <laughs> that's the layman's explanation. But Montreal has a very strong ice dance coaching and performing community there. So a lot of the very, very famous Canadian and even international ice dancers are trained in Montreal. So like um, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer, for instance, you guys are Canadian. You probably know those guys. Two-time gold champions. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But likewise, Toronto has an incredibly famous and very successful um, figure skating club called the Toronto Cricket Club. And the Toronto Cricket Club trains Yuzuru Hanyu, who's a two-time gold Olympic champion. Uh, In the past, he just retired from that club. Javier Fernandez, who's also like a world champion, and he was the bronze medalist uh, in Pyeongchang. Mm. And recently, Evgenia Medvedeva who was the women's world champion two years in a row. So Toronto is actually a sort of a big singles, so for men's and ladies, figure skating hub, so the Toronto Cricket Club. So the hypothesis is like, JJ could be from anywhere in Canada. Why do you be from Toronto? A, it seems like it, people know where Toronto is, basically. Yeah. Um, but B, Toronto has this very deeply ingrained and in the figure skating community, very famous success 
in um, mm. performative and very athletic singles figure skating. Quick question from the chat. Uh, H. Burzy, apologies if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, is wondering if any of us knows any skating moves. Like physically able to do them or just like <laughs> naming them? I presume the performative aspect. We have all seen the anime. We can all name off a bunch of moves. And uh, you, Nicola, are more into the figure skating itself fandom. But that doesn't mean that any of us can even skate. I can't skate. Can't skate? Okay. I haven't skated since I was a child where in the, a bizarre accident, I ended up cutting myself with a blade by falling over. Ooh. I don't know how it happened. Oh my god, that's hardcore. Yeah. I like was learning the hockey stop and failed miserably. Oh no. Much Canada, wow. <laughs> when I was, uh, I want to say seven, seven or eight, I got a ribbon for skating backwards. Hey. hey. That's more advanced than me. Yep. <laughs> that may have been the last time that I skated. <laughs> well, I grew up in Australia, and we don't have that here. So <laughs> we don't we don't do skating. We don't do ice or snow or anything like that. <laughs> that being said, there are some quite prolific uh, Australian figure skaters, but they do not train in this country for the most part. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't skate. I can do a mean a lap around the rink with a chair. <laughs> yeah just sitting take, on like, it? a really long time oh, oh maybe you can just sit on your butt and just kind of like, <laughs> scoot, scoot. like that scoot scoot <laughs> okay so we we talked about all sorts of things related to the the fan we talked about figure skating what i was wondering is and i think we've touched on this a little bit but hasn't come up too much what are some other things that are super contentious in the yuri on ice fandom oh oh there's there's a few you mentioned the animation quality changing throughout the series was like one thing that was not super popular, but there's got to be, I'm, I'm just curious because every fandom has these own things that even if you're a casual fan, you might not know, but it's once you get really in there that you learn these fascinating little tidbits about the fandom. I would say that the absolute biggest controversy of the show was basically whether it was a romance or not. And I think sort of toward the end of the series that, resolved because uh, it's still ambiguous it's never named but it becomes less ambiguous toward the end of the series so i think that sort of resolved itself that was definitely the biggest argument what plays into that uh another like small controversy that happened uh was that uh during the translation the official translations on crunchyroll uh one of the translations was translated from it was the word koibuto which is um, partner or romantic partner in Japanese, uh, but was translated to girlfriend instead. Oh, that's right. Uh, so there was a lot of annoyance over mm. that uh, translation. And ultimately, it was actually changed. Basically, there was a backlash and it was actually changed. So another thing that, again, very similar, but more on the Japanese side this time, is if you look behind me at these crazy collection of posters, um, there's more that you can't see. <laughs> But famously, like one of the main um, book releases for Yuri on Ice had a picture of Yuri and Victor, and they weren't wearing their um, their rings. Um, they have uh, matching rings, wedding rings, engagement rings, friendship rings, whatever you want to call them. They weren't wearing those. And the Japanese fan base basically got incredibly irate, and they were like, look, like, this this picture is from this part of the show. They have to be wearing their rings. Like, the fact you took them off is ridiculous. Like... 
they need to be on there. And you don't really see this pushback in Japan a lot. Um, it's not nearly as common, just simply the culture of that, you know, just how it is that people don't tend to like directly address producers of material and say, we're not happy with something. Um, but they changed it. So they actually did change it. So, um, in the poster and the cover of that book, they, they edited it before release and they're wearing their rings now. Oh, wow. Most of the main controversies center around, um, the recognition of Victor and Yuri as being in a relationship, some kind of relationship. So that's sort of the main ones. Those are the big ones. And then there's a lot of like smaller ones as well. There is some clash between the hardcore figure skating community and the Yuri and Ice community. Hmm. Basically, because after Yuri and Ice aired, there was a, a bit of an influx of new fans to figure skating. And a lot of people were using like the incorrect terminology or they were going on to like figure skaters, Twitters and Instagrams and commenting, oh, you look exactly like Yuri Katsuki, which is kind of like a little bit <laughs> like you're like, like, okay, don't do that. Like, or they were like trying to ship real life people. Like, <laughs> so there's been a little bit of tension there. I say that would be at the moment that is always an ongoing drama. So it's a little like, yeah, you can weigh into both sides because there are definitely bad Euro and Ice fans for sure who raise their head in the figure skating community but the figure skating community has their own really bad fans as well so, yeah but those are those are the peak ones but I say the translation one with Crunchyroll that was the one that I feel like most people knew about came into mainstream because they ultimately they did change it and it really raised the question about um you know gender neutral translations and stuff like that like I don't blame the person who translated it because at the time it was like episode two or something so it's like how are they meant to know that that was the reading of the show. Mm. Like they just assumed the reading of it, even though it's a gender neutral word. I'm not unhappy with them, but I'm glad that they changed it. On the Blu-ray edition, for many reason, do you know if they uh, took Victor's arm away from the kiss? No, no. So they did not. Okay. There's sort of this, um, what do they call it? Like fanon? Like, so there was an interview with um, Sai Yamamoto about, specifically about the kiss. And basically... This isn't word for word, but they were asking like about that because it was, you know, it's quite affronting to have like a, a kiss just flat out out there, but with an arm in the way. <laughs> <laughs> so they were asking about that. And I think a lot of people said like, you know, they assumed that it was because of pressure from the production or studio, like from Mappa or from their external people they were releasing from that they didn't want it kiss visible, but ultimately it was actually a directorial choice. Sayo Mamoto mm. made the choice to keep it like that. I think because if you read a lot of interviews with her, she's a no-labels person, so she wants to maintain that it's romantic, but do you actually have to see that yeah. to know that they're romantically involved? And I think yeah. ultimately the answer is no. So it was her choice to keep it that way. People say things about censorship and stuff like that. It's like, well, it's not because it was censorship, it was more because her and her choice was to to keep it like that and i think mm. you know given sayamoto i am obviously a big fan like so i i support that choice but no it was not changed on the blu-ray right that is the director's cut <laughs> it is the director's cut so like if it were going to be changed that's where it would have been changed and there are other things that did change in the blu-rays mm. more subtle things that you know, you could say were maybe coded more romantically than they were in the main series. But ultimately, the kiss, it's a kiss. <laughs> uh, it didn't change. <laughs> Actually, knowing that No Labels bit puts some of the, the show into context because they get the rings 
and then they show the rings to other people and they're like look at these nice rings we have (laughs) but it's not an engagement ring it's not a wedding ring they just they never state the significance of the rings and contextually everyone who's watching like everyone in the show who is watching knows what's going on and you as the viewer know what's going on but it's like they just never outright stated explicitly yeah it's a very sayo yamamoto thing to do (laughs) i think and one of the things is like if we want to talk about real life figure skaters again for a hot minute uh sayo yamamoto is a big fan of uh like tessa virtue and scott moyer the famous uh canadian ice dancers Mm -hmm. so They've been skating together. They're now retired this season, but they were skating together for uh, 20 years or so, since they were children, basically. And they are very romantic and very, like, fiery, engaged sort of um, programs that they skated to. So a lot of people always assume that they were uh, romantically involved, which, honestly, if you just looked at them superficially without knowing anything, I think you definitely make the assumption because they're, like... <laughs> they're all up in each other's space <laughs> but you know they obviously don't kiss or anything like that in public they've always famously said they've always been ambiguous about their relationship i would say like when people ask them if they're like a partners or they're romantically involved they always divert questions if they get asked about if they have other partners they always divert the question they've been doing this for like 20 years <laughs> so at the end of yuri on ice yuri katsuki and victor Kifrov do an ice dance together. That ice dance is actually Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer's ice dance from the 2016-2017 season. Oh, really? Cool. And I think that's quite emblematic of Saya Yamamoto and her perspective on Yuri and Victor's relationship is basically like, they don't have to say. You can look at the way they act. You don't have to say outright that this is X or this is Y. And it is, yeah, it's a very Saya Yamamoto thing. She said it before about her other works, about you know relationships that transcend sort of labels that you know love is love and that you know you can read it however you want to but we're not going to put a label on it just so you can say it's definitely this or it's definitely that and a lot of people have assumed that comes from a place of like being too scared or not comfortable with saying what the relationship is but i would say look at sayo's other works it's like clear what position she stands in and she has very strong opinions about that stuff and even like mitsuro kubo who's the writer she famously, like her and Sai Yamamoto, um, met through because Kubo does this radio show and her co-host um, is like a non-binary gendered uh, co-host that she has. And a lot of what they talk about as part of their radio show is gender issues and stuff like that. So it's like, if you read into it even just a little bit further, you know what their positions are. I guess I'm one of those people who I also don't believe that it, something needs to be slapped on there for me to say, oh, it's definitely this or it's definitely that. Like, I always think that it makes it, it gives it more depth almost that you're able to read it different ways. Mm-hmm. But that being said, that could change. Like, mm. if there ever is a season two, who knows? Yeah. There's that level of depth and just just the plain level of detail in the anime itself. Does that lend itself to a lot of rewatches? Like, are fans rewatching the series to fill the void? Um, I can't speak for anyone else. Like, I rewatch it less than you probably think I do. <laughs> I've rewatched it maybe two or three times since it came out. So, in the past year and eight months, so not that much. Yeah. I think Crunchyroll was on Twitch and they did a, a live viewing of Yuri and I last year that was very popular. 
So, which go well, I don't know how many of those were rewatches or how many of those were first watches via Twitch. Right. But yeah, it does lend itself to a lot of rewatching. Basically, if you watched it the first time and you weren't meticulous with like sort of going through yeah. and looking at things, every frame, there's <laughs> some little thing there that's some kind of reference. Like, even down to like the characters' programs, the costumes, the moves they make, like, they're all key references from real life things i think like famously like um and this is kind of worked worked almost against the show in a way uh is that one of the characters odebeck alton from kazakhstan Mm -hmm. who was a skater in the show was heavily 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 based from a kazakhstan figure skater called dennis ten who was the sochi bronze medalist and he tweeted about it like you know on his twitter and stuff like that and he pointed out that like the ted mascots that people threw into the ice in the show were the same as the ones people threw like to him in real life but Dersten actually passed away uh, a couple of weeks ago so that's kind of like sorry to make it a little dark but like I mean that's things that you know he he as a figure skater he he knew but maybe as another viewer you wouldn't yeah you would only know via a rewatch yeah but that's the most explicit example which is why I brought brought that up so yeah yeah gonna say you may have noticed at this point that at the very least t and i have watched the dub version z i'm not sure which version you watched. <laughs> subbed i've watched both uh i obviously prefer the japanese version it's the first time i've ever heard a non-like joke russian accent put on in an animated series <laughs> I don't even know if I'd call it a non-joke. Really? I think it's... pretty rough. (laughs) It gets better as it goes along, to be fair. Let's say I thought it was good compared to all the other ones I've heard. (laughs) Because, like, it wouldn't hold any water if it was an out-and-out joke. (laughs) Because there's a lot of, like, real character moments that happen. But when you get to, like, our good friend JJ, (laughs) then it... (laughs) Maybe maybe this is the Canadian, then, then it seems to be caricature. Not, also not Quebec, yeah, well, well, which I found surprised. Yeah. <laughs> the character's meant to be 18, and the guy sounds like a 40-year-old, like, two-pack-a-day smoker. <laughs> Just like, come on now. Come on now. It's actually really interesting, like, those accent choices. Like, I've got nothing, absolutely nothing against them. Um, obviously, I think it's kind of weird that in the dub, like, they accent everyone who's European, but they don't accent anyone who's uh, from an Asian country. Um, yeah, yeah. It's probably a very obvious reason why they didn't do that. But actually in the show, the Japanese version of the show, uh, there is actually accent stuff in that as well. It's a bit more limited, but basically they gave the Italian skaters in the Japanese version, they gave them Hiroshima accents. Oh, really? Okay. And they gave other skaters like Kansai accents and they gave Victor like a, a foreign accent. So it's kind of weird, like, because it, it did play into the Japanese one as well, just maybe not as obvious as the as the dub. But yeah, the dub the dub is okay. Like, I don't mind the dub. There's just a couple bits you go, oh no. But there's a couple bits that are actually, I would say, play almost um, better in the English dub than they do with the Japanese version. So, oh really? Yeah. Specifically at the end of the series, there's a moment where like Yuri is running towards Victor on the bridge, and the line in English is, "We call everything on ice, love." And the word love lines up with Victor's face. It's perfect. But that doesn't exist in the Japanese version, obviously. But the line is still the same. But mm. just because sentence structure happens, like, yeah. you don't have that beautiful poetic, like, <laughs> juxtaposition. But I think Funimation put a lot of effort into um, 
like I think initially maybe they didn't put as much effort into, but as they realized how popular series was becoming, the quality of it became better. I think initially it was maybe a bit touch and go. I think when I heard the people of my country, I fell out of my chair. Uh, you know that guy, there's like a, a Canadian guy with a giant flag running in one of the episodes celebrating JJ? That guy's based on a real life guy. Oh, really? At the Vancouver Olympics. There's a guy with a massive like Canadian flag just running around the stadium. It's just it. like, oh my god. Again, it's the little details. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a fluent Japanese speaker or reader then? Or do you just prefer subs? I prefer subs. I'm an intermediate Japanese speaker. Okay. Being from Australia um, and growing up here in the 90s, the language we learned in school was Japanese. Oh, oh, cool. Fun facts about Australia. So in, yeah, in the 90s, um, Japanese immigration was really high here. We had a lot of Japanese tourism. So our mandatory subject in school, if you grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, was Japanese. So myself and my co-hosts of the Yuri on Aspersay's podcast, we're both Australian, grew up in that time. So both of us did... Japanese for years and years and years in school. So my co-host, she later moved to Japan to work. And then I went to uh, Japan for exchange during school. So I was there for a little while. So my Japanese is okay, but it's not great. So I'm able to, you know, pick apart interviews and stuff. It just takes me a lot of time. And when I watch, I can get, depending on the type of show, like maybe 50%-ish normally of what's going on. So, yeah. So cool. for me, like, I, I prefer to watch in Japanese simply because normally that's the, I can, this becomes a bit more of a like, aesthetic <laughs> thing, but it's like, you know, normally um, the, just anime, they put a lot more value um, into voice acting. Um, mm. They pay a lot of money to get very, like, super duper professional people to do their voice acting. So the sort of value is a lot higher than, say, um, if you have something coming out of the US where, like, the, the market for anime is a lot smaller. So obviously the value that they put in um, voice actors isn't as high. Not to say that they're not great. There's a lot of great voice actors, but yeah. And because basically the time year and ice was airing, I wasn't going to wait an extra week to watch a simul dub. Like I was watching it raw as it came out. <laughs> At a certain point with anime, like you, like, do you really want to watch it? Well, then you're going to want to sit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, you get to a point, like as a fan, like it's like, you know, the first few episodes I was watching Crunchyroll subs, for instance, and then after that I was watching the raw uh, version that came out at Ooh. one a.m. Wow! <laughs> because we're luckily, luckily, very close to um, Japanese time here in Australia. So for me, yeah, but still one a.m. <laughs> so yeah, so it's like you got to prioritize. Like, what do you? How how much do you like the series? <laughs> You're gonna stay up one a.m. to watch an episode that you understand fifty percent of, and then have to go back like three times to understand all of it, or? <laughs> Are you going to wait another eight hours to get subs or are you going to wait another week to get a dub? Yeah. So given that uh, that you learned Japanese growing up, like through school, and you've spent some time in Canada, would you say that because, I mean, ideally, the majority of, uh, of Australians in your age range know some Japanese anime is more popular in Australia than Canada? For sure. <laughs> it, for sure. So Australia... Like our biggest minority group in Australia are from Asian countries because we're in the Asia Pacific. We're very close. Yep. It was once that Japanese people were the largest uh, Asian minority in Australia. Now it's uh, mainland Chinese people. 
but here in Australia, anime is definitely a lot more mainstream. Like, for instance, mm. I can see most anime films that come out, they will come out with not that much delay here in Australia after Japan, and I can go watch it at my local cinema. Wow. Like, in Australia, our main um, distributing group is Mad Men Entertainment, and they're very, very good at picking things up. Uh, we also have a lot of smaller distribution companies as well, but that's the main one. Um, mm. But for us, like, because we are so close and because we have... I guess a bigger market uh, in terms of demography for anime releases. Like, mm. I would say it's easy here to see anime movies and even re-airs of series at the cinema. Like, and wow. I'm not talking like your little like indie <laughs> cinema. I'm talking like your chain cinema. So that really? that is something that we get here in Australia. That yeah, you do you do not wow. get in Canada. <laughs> so, no. No. We had your name for one day, I think. That's nuts. I saw it like three times. It was here for like five weeks. Wow. And here I am looking forward to like the Sailor Moon S re-release on Monday. That is going to be for one night in a theater that's not in town. Be thankful you have that. I'll thank JJ Leroy. Even things like for me, like living in Australia now as opposed to living in Canada, like I've been to Japan a couple of times just to go mm -hmm. to events. Like like I said last year, I went to Yuri on Museum and I went to like another Yuri on Ice collaboration in Japan. I did some other stuff there as well, but like that was part of one of the reasons I went during that time mm -hmm. period. Like for me, it's like being in the, you know, in the general district, like it's still a long flight, but it's not as far away as the US or Canada. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to sort of engage and like go and do things in Japan rather than being stuck out in North America or God forbid Europe. So. <laughs> Where Z went to Japan for one, I don't, know, I don't know how long you went to Japan for, you got, you got there. It, it was, it was like two nights, I think. Yeah. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> well, I was I was in South Korea at the time teaching English because that's what you do after university, right? After you majored yeah. in English, I took the ferry over from Busan, wound up in Fukuoka, and I just Japan is very expensive no matter where you are in Japan. So <laughs> I really only had a budget for staying in that city and just kind of wandered around. Yeah, oh Still crazy! A good time. It's just a Fukuoka. Speaking of Fukuoka, oh yeah. So I mentioned before World Team Trophy, which is a end of season event for figure skating that's very, very popular. It's, it's, it's what I call a meme event. So it's not really about the competition. It's about the memes. <laughs> Excellent. So it's basically France versus Russia versus Japan versus US versus Canada. So each of those countries, they have a team of figure skaters mm -hmm. and they compete against each other and they all wear crazy costumes and they do stereotypical things. And it's a lot of <laughs> Uh, in figure skating, they call it fan service, not in the way you think about it in anime, but fan service, like you're entertaining your fans. Yeah. So that's actually in Fukuoka uh, this this season, which is the beginning of 2019, because hmm. the figure skating season is just starting. Um, and so Fukuoka is uh, yes, uh, is near um, Saga Prefecture, which is where the real life setting for Yuri Katsuki's hometown, Yuri on Ice, is. Yeah. So there's been a lot of speculation that there will be a strong collaboration a collaborative event mm. with world team trophy again this year given that the the city that the actual event is in is very 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 close by it's like 20 minutes on the train or something oh. to the Euro nice main location oh. and the stars with a line you know you can see them you see the constellations <laughs> in the sky you're like yeah hey, that's probably gonna happen so and like i said like the station that aired 
Latini Asahi, who aired Euronice, all have the rights to, you know, World Team Trophy, to the Grand Prix series. Like, that's one of the reasons Euronice existed. They're getting that crossover promotion, bringing in more people, <laughs> you know, get that money, get that money. One thing I saw a bunch of on the subreddit was people doing the Euronice pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah. So I I haven't done it yet. Have you not? Yeah, Are you going I, to? No, but actually tomorrow I'm going to Thailand for a figure skating competition that's Whoa. at the same rink that Peachy from Yuri on Ice, yep. the Thai skater, trains. I'm going there, so that'll be one of my pilgrimages. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I haven't been to the main Japan one yet, unfortunately. So that's for next year when the film comes out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I know earlier in the show... Nicola, you'd mentioned that, you know, figure skating doesn't really happen much in Australia for perhaps obvious reasons. <laughs> but is it at all popular there? Like, do people tune into the Olympics or tune into the, like, worldwide regional championships at all? In Australia, for Winter Olympics, um, we like uh, snowboarding. We're big on snowboarding. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's mainly what people w- will watch in terms of Winter Olympics. Like okay. people will tune into the Olympics simply, but we are big Summer Olympics people, obviously. Like swimming mm, yeah. is one of our strengths, so obviously that's a very strong thing in Australia. But figure skating, I am not familiar with. Like I went, for instance, I went to um, Australian Nationals last year. They happened to be in my city, hmm. and there was like a handful of people there that were oh, fans. Wow. And and actually, the people who weren't me and my co-hosts uh, from our podcast were Japanese ladies. Oh, so really? it was like the local community of Japanese ladies had rocked up to watch the Australian Nationals. Wow. And I think that that's something as well, and this is a discussion I've had before with some different people in anime circles, is I think people underestimate how popular figure skating is in Japan. Like figure skating mm-hmm. is one of the, the top but watch sports after baseball and sumo. It is ridiculously popular. It is insanely popular. And Japan is an incredibly high-performing figure skating country. You know, obviously it has the men's champion, famously Yuzuru Hanyu, but, like, incredibly strong, like, single skater community. Um, So it's so, so popular there. It happened here in Australia. There was a junior Grand Prix competition, also in my city, uh, last year. And again, you go there, there's like a few like Western, well, you know, Australian or Western fans, but mostly Japanese ladies. So like Japanese ladies who live, because we have a big Japanese population Mm -hmm. uh, who live here, who will go to the figure skating competitions in Australia. So that's not uncommon at all. And it's quite a phenomenon because I think you guys talked about this in your um, figure skating episode, but if you go to a figure skating competition overseas, it doesn't matter where it is, the entire crowd will be dominated by Japanese ladies. That's right. I remember looking that up. Yeah. As a rule, there has never been a figure skating competition I've been to where that isn't the case. We call them like skate aunties, like rich <laughs> skate aunties. They have a bunch of money. They're like a little bit older and they have like successful careers or, you know, their partners are quite wealthy or something and they just fly around the world going to all these competitions. Good. <laughs> the part where i'm just riffing i guess yuri off ice where he's rollerblading in the summer would you watch that <laughs> i would definitely watch that because i mean you know like uh, on the off season like i have a friend in australia she's a, a like a competitive roller skater mm-hmm. and that's the same it's the same as figure skating like same kind of moves and everything like that like you still axles and south owls and yeah you know toe loops and stuff it's the same concept except you know less cold 
<laughs> more more Australian appropriate, I guess. I'd watch it for sure. Maybe that's what they're waiting for the second season for. They're gonna do it in the summer. It's yeah. like Yuri decides to go rollerblading. Three X Games. Three X Games. On concrete, Yuri on concrete doesn't have as much of a ring to it. I love it. No. Yeah. Yeah. As for the second season, whether that will ever come, who knows? Like, there's been absolutely no official talk of a second season, so it gets a little like cloying after a couple of years of seeing people still comment on stuff and being like, "Where's season two? It's like season one, okay? Calm down." So, all five weeks at the movies in Australia. Make sure you see it like every night. Yeah. And then maybe be yeah. able to get there. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Sayo and Kubo, they went around the world to quite a few different conventions in Europe, in America, and Asia, um, basically saying how they're going to try their hardest to get the film distribution rights uh, to do a simultaneous worldwide release. I saw them, I flew over to America just to see them when they were in America because they didn't come to Australia. <laughs> and yeah, that was a big thing that they were sort of pushing for. I don't know how much of that is just like, you know, how much they just, like, say stuff like that. But I have a feeling that it's, like, one of those things that's, like, Japanese culture things. You wouldn't say it unless you actually <laughs> were planning to do that. And then um, for these past, like, movie announcements and stuff like that that have happened recently and, like, the um, the sort of countdown and special events for announcing the film, um, they've been tweeting everything in, like, 18 languages. Oh so people have hypothesized wow. that each of those languages is the country in which they'll try and get a simultaneous release. Unfortunately, I don't think Australia will be one of them because our main distributor, Mad Men Entertainment, don't actually have um, distribution rights to Uriah Nice. Yeah, it's really weird. So I went to a convention last year and I talked to one of the people in charge of doing the, like, like the copywriting and getting access to these and they, they don't have Yuri on Ice. So it begs the question <laughs> what distributor in Australia does have it and will they ever release it or did they just have it for no reason? Regardless, I'll go to Japan to see the film. So <laughs> it's like irrelevant, but you know, it'd be, you know, for, for me, it's easy where I live, but if you're in France or you're in Mexico or you're in the Philippines, we're all places that Kobo and or Saya and or staff members have gone to tell them about the film you know, the film may not be accessible to you. Well, you may not be able to fly to Japan to see a film. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, priorities, like you got to be a little right. bit hardcore. To, <laughs> a little <laughs> bit hardcore to be willing to do that. So, yeah. But hopefully when it gets released, hopefully next year, that's when it's meant to be released, then hopefully it will be uh, in many different countries, <laughs> but we will see. Mm-hmm. Speaking of different countries, if I may uh, do, make a little callback here. Um, earlier in the show, when uh, T had us guess which countries were searching for Yuri and Ice the most, you had guessed Mexico. Is there any reason for that? Like, is it secretly popular in Mexico? Maybe it's because Mexican fans are just very vocal. Okay. So you see a lot of people from Mexico commenting on stuff like that, but also because... Um, Sai Yamamoto and Kubo both went their first. Sai Yamamoto, as I said, very private director. Like she barely mm-hmm. does stuff. She barely does stuff in Japan. She went to Mexico, but that was the first country they went to. Okay. Doing their, I, I don't want to call it a publicity tour, but like they're doing their little like worldwide tour. Yeah. That was the first place they went was Mexico. So you know, there's a lot of fans there, and famously, there was like mm. basically the con that 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 was hosting them couldn't deal with the amount of fans that were coming in because it, they, wow. it was totally unprecedented. And the same thing happened when I was in the U.S. 
I was in Dallas and it was the same thing basically you know basically as soon as those guests were announced like unprecedented moments of people from all over the country like I had friends like also like from the UK or from Australia from Asia from Canada fly hmm. to the US simply for this convention just to see them wow. and obviously the organizers hey we're not prepared for this <laughs> but yeah the same thing happened the first time that happened was in Mexico so hmm. yeah and you see vocal Mexican fans so it's like yeah. that's would be my first guess so Latin America anime, very popular. Yeah, I was kind of wondering if maybe it had something to do with, um, like, when we did the episode on K-pop in Brazil, we came across the idea that part of the draw for K-pop in that country specifically, and sort of in Latin America in general, was like the, the spin on masculinity that it presented, because boy bands are always very cute and, like, friendly and non-threatening, unlike, I guess, sort of stereotypical latin masculinity yeah and i'm not sure how that plays into like the culture because i'm not as familiar with it but i mean they love it <laughs> mexican people <laughs> love you nice so yeah maybe there's a bit of lucha libre in there too the costumes <laughs> the characters a little bit of that so i mean i wouldn't be surprised if in the movie or like touching all the wood season two there's a Mexican skater because, I mean, mm. the director has expressed her love of this one particular Mexican skater. Mm. She absolutely adores, and he's so charming. I love him. I love him as well. It's great. Uh, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he had, like, sort of a cameo or a character reference in the next piece of media that comes out. So, yeah. Cool. Well, every, everything's going to be a fine tooth comb now, right? Like every piece of, <laughs> of Uranus that comes out now. Well, Yeah. <laughs> Basically, since the sort of middle season when people started to realize, like, this is a crazy thing, that's when, like, me and my friend Jackie, for instance, started really fine-tooth combing stuff. And, yeah, ever since then, that's why we, we made our podcast is because basically we just go through this very tech, like, <laughs> like go through a fine-tooth comb, pick out all these references, pick out why these things are happening and stuff like that. So we we enjoyed doing that. We didn't know if anyone else would enjoy listening to it, but we're like, we <laughs> love it. We could talk about it for literally years you can probably gather from the amount i <laughs> talk about it that i am a fan anyway mm-hmm. sorry i should stop swearing my inner australian is like yeah, oh, no. no worries no worries just gets bleeped in the i love being bleeped sorry <laughs> sorry <laughs> yep our inner canadian is coming out <laughs> okay so once upon a time in every single episode we talk about a little thing called the spotlight and that is where we try to highlight a really cool cause related to this week's topic. This week, I was fortunate enough to find not one, but two potential spotlights. As Nicola alluded to earlier, she might have some more details on at least one of them. I suspect two of them, but we're going to find out. The first thing I'm going to spotlight is Heartbeats, a Yuri on Ice zine, which you can find at heartbeatszine.tumblr.com. It is a Yuri on Ice zine. Uh, specifically focused on trying to raise money for charity, focused on characters showing their love for each other. They did release two zines, a PG-13 one and an 18 plus zine, and were able to raise 665 US dollars for Charity Water. It was released on February 14, 2018. And I wanted to... uh, This happened with Near Automata, and it's just like the zine was published and then that was it. Mm. It's just like, it's out in the world and that is all there is to it. Yep. Mm. Just like a single issue kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, that that kind of makes sense for a zine, but I was a little disappointed. So I kept digging to see if I could find something that is more ongoing 
in case you are a fan of Yuri on Ice today and you want to try to participate in something that's still active. And so I found something called Born to Make History, a Yuri on Ice fan gathering, which you can find at yoiconph.com. They recently did the second one. I say recently as in earlier in the year. Uh, it's the follow-up to the warmly welcomed and well-attended Born to Make History, a Yuri on Ice fan gathering. The event pays tribute to the history that Yuri on Ice continues to make. Since its premiere mm-hmm. last October 2016, Yuri on Ice continues to inspire and invigorate its fans even more than one year later. The gathering will bring the beloved features of the previous event with more exciting additions. The extensive Rosalie and carefully curated merchant market serves as the centerpiece of the event. Thought-provoking panels, specialty docs, and cosplayer meet and greets round out the program for this day-long celebration of life, love, and Yuri on Ice. But the one thing that I couldn't find out... <laughs> because uh, the last one was held somewhere in the, the Philippines, I believe, was, are they doing it again? Is there going to be a third one in 2019? And I could not find any information. But, uh, Nicola, it sounded like you might know a little bit about it. Yeah, so for the Philippines event, the Born to Make History event, so um, we talked a bit about an hour podcast about this, not too much, but a little bit. So it is a, it is a fan event. I want to <laughs> specify. So it's not affiliated with the series. But they ran it last year and it was incredibly successful. They also had a, a local Filipino figure skater um, do a recreation of one of Yuri's Eros short program mm. at a local rink in the Philippines with the full costume and everything, like a, what we call it, like a can copy, like a copy with slightly modified jumps and stuff like that. It's because uh, that skater could not do the quads, obviously. Uh, not obviously, but it's very rare for skaters to, like, you know, you have to be absolutely elite. To be able to do those. Like Elvis Stoiken. Yeah. <laughs> like Brian Boitano. <laughs> so yeah, so they had that and it was a resounding success. So um, I believe that the Born to Make History people in the Philippines are actually somehow officially affiliated with the Philippines Figure Skating Federation. Oh, whoa. Famously, there was a bit of controversy in... There's has been and remains controversy in the Filipino Skating Federation. Um, but they're actually officially affiliated... As I think, as far as I'm aware, with with that group who do that fan event, I did not go, obviously. But yeah, they had like I think there was like talks by different people, and they talked about like different things, like gender issues and stuff like that, and figure skating. And then it was sort of just like a regular con event, like you know, artist alley that kind of deal. But it basically held its own its own event. I I would assume that they're also going to have one next year, but I think it's pending. Basically, a lot of these fan events are sort of pending around a, a solid movie date. I think. So that's that. But for the zine, there have been so many Uranice zines. So many. Like, that's just, like, one of the more popular ones in particular. But there were zines being created when the series was airing and, like, going on and on and on. And there's still zines being created today. Some of them are bigger. Some of them are smaller. Some of them are really niche. Some of them are more broad. I've been involved in a few doing, like, fanfiction-y stuff. But the zine community, I think, in general, in anime and other fan bases is absolutely massive so um like i know that like for one zine i was involved in like normally they don't make a profit or they just run to cost but for ours like we ran a profit we had you know 40 people involved and we all got paid more than 150 dollars back nice which is like you don't expect that kind of thing but it's kind of attributed to the popularity (laughs) of the series but yeah, those fanzines are still still running. There's been so many of them. It's like, I can't even tell you. I can't even keep track of that kind of stuff. But the event in the Philippines, yeah, that's um, that's something. But one I was surprised that you didn't mention was in Malaysia, in KL and Kuala Lumpur, 
they had a, a wedding event, <laughs> a professional wedding event for Victor and Yuri. So they had like life-size cutouts. <laughs> it was based on an event that someone had in Taiwan mm. that was the same, where they basically they rented out a full hall like you would for a regular wedding, had it all decked out, decorated. Everyone wore their best to do, you know, and they had a full set menu and like, I'm sure it looked like lots of fun, but I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely nuts. <laughs> it's like so <laughs> ridiculous, but they had this event. So there was one in Taiwan. It was just like Victor and Yuri's wedding. That was a thing that happened. And then, yeah, it was replicated again uh, later in Kuala in Malaysia. I'm surprised you didn't pick up on that one because that was a bit more, um, I think there was some sort of like BuzzFeed-esque articles about it. Oh, these girls are celebrating the marriage of two two new men. (laughs) (laughs) You know, clickbait kind of stuff, but yeah. That's fair. It could partially be because I try to find things that people could like do something. Like there's usually lots of fun like news articles. Like I was searching for this a little bit while we were doing the episode because I couldn't find it. I swear to God, somebody had mentioned something about Sayo Yamamoto loving butts and I wanted to bring that up so yeah. badly on the episode <laughs> but I couldn't find the quote so I just like I'm not going to be the crazy person who's, who says that's amazing they talk about figure skating butts all the time because um, like in a few different interviews so Tadashi Hirabatsu who's the lead character designer he talked about it a lot and he talked about that like basically Yamamoto like she would like come to him and be like, hmm, that is a good drone, but you need to accentuate the butt more because f- figure skaters have large butts. Which, <laughs> if you've ever seen a picture of Adam Rippon, like give it a Google and <laughs> come back and you, t- you tell me what you think. It is definitely something, you know, they do train their glutes a lot. So yeah, so it's something that staff have talked about, but there's actually a, a famous fake misquote that uh, um, Michi, so... Uh, Luoderi on um, Twitter she made once that was part of our panel for Anime Fest which is it needs more butts and it's like <laughs> Sai Yamamoto probably but I think that got picked up as like maybe an official quote uh, which, it, which it isn't but the context of it is correct they've mentioned it a lot they've mentioned it at the con I was at in the US they've mentioned it at other cons before they've mentioned it in interviews how it was very important for them to make sure that the butts were always accentuated legitimately so so <laughs> yeah okay, again yeah. adam rippon's butt it's amazing like <laughs> okay uh i've seen adam rippon's butt now can confirm uh, <laughs> a plus a plus butt it's a solid butt those are some well-defined glutes <laughs> nicola where can people find you on the internet so i have a main my main like figure skating ship posting account is not <laughs> nice at all like n-o-t-g-n-e-i-s-s-a-t-a-l-l like nice like the rock like my my real job is i'm a geologist so <laughs> that's, oh. that's but um so that's my main like shit posting figure say shit posting account i was talking about your there. we also have a podcast that's sort of out uh, we're still on sort of on semi-hiatus pending movie news that's yoi wednesdays pod so that's also on twitter and you can search it on SoundCloud or iTunes and listen to old episodes. But as I said, it's very tech. So a lot of reports from old conventions, like people who attended overseas, like a lot of uh, breakdowns of the guidebooks and fan books and different releases. Yeah. We like to call it verbal shit posting. So <laughs> <laughs> high tech verbal shit posting. Do you have an episode dedicated to each episode kind of thing? 
No, so we mainly started the show because um, there was plenty of shows out there that were reviewing Uranus itself, and we oh, were okay. like, we're not interested in doing that. We don't want to review the show because we love the show. We don't see a need to add more to that discussion. To grade it or anything like that. Yeah. But there was no podcast around, you know, the news cycle and things outside the series itself that were happening. So that's what we really wanted to talk about to show that, I guess to show that even though the series had ended, so many things were still happening to do with Yuri on Ice and like how it worked into the figure skating world and it's different collaboration events. And obviously that tapered off a little bit uh, last year so that we had to like finish the podcast because they were just like, we don't really have as much to talk about. But recently, like as of um, the past month or so, there's been a massive increase in different things happening again with your own ice uh, in the lead up to the film being premiered next year. Yeah. Sorry, uh, not nice. N-O-T-G-N-E-I-S-S. A-T-A-L-L. <laughs> oh, I missed the last part. Not nice at all. Got it. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so scientist inside me has to make rock jokes. <laughs> Okay, so if you've gone through all the episodes of Nicholas' podcast and you still want to hear more fandom-related stuff, you can check out other episodes of our podcast, Fanthropological. All of them can be found on fanthropological.com, uh, as well as the podcast of your choice. And now, with Spotify. Check us out over there, and uh, please uh, hit that subscribe or follow button as the app dictates. If you have any ideas for fandoms you'd like to see us cover on the show, please uh, email us, nick at thenickscast.com. This podcast is Fanthropological. Us three Nicks are the Nicks cast, and you can find us anywhere on the web at the Nicks cast, at um, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't underestimate the power of Twitter. That's why Nicola's on the show right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a while ago now. It's a wonderful place. It's true. (laughs) The memes. Yeah, the memes alone. (laughs) Oh, boy. Those memes. But then I might throw it over to you to talk about... um, couple of things that are comfy and easy to wear hey yes we also have some shirts if you go to shop.thenextcast.com you can take a look at some really cool shirts including the race against time shirts uh, which are limited edition and uh they're neat shirts you should buy some if you're interested the race against time shirts if you buy those the proceeds go to the alzheimer's society of canada as well mm-hmm. and if you are listening to this in podcast form first off thank you very much for doing so whether it's on Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Addict, whatever. Just going to a website on the dark web, looking us up, and, you know, having a nice listen. Thank you very much. But, but, Adam Rippon's but. What you could also be doing is tuning in over on twitch.tv slash thenixcast every week when we record these episodes live. That's right. Normally on Mondays, normally on 8 p.m. Schedules flexible, as flexible as a figure skater must be to pull off (laughs) mad jumps and quads and whatnot. (laughs) You can watch us record these episodes live. Join us. See our lovely faces, our our guests' lovely faces. Hear everyone's wonderful voice. Put the voice to the face, the face to the voice. And you can participate in the chat. You can ask us questions. Ask questions amongst yourselves, you know, plan some sort of podcast coup or something down there in the chat. I don't know. You can shitpost is what you can do. Yes. Yes, please do. Please do post all of your Simpsons shitposts, all, all of your SpongeBob shitposts. 
your shit posts, figure skating, do it, please. <laughs> Out there, shit posts. Oh, sure, sure. Oh, absolutely. But most importantly, out of everything you can do in the chat, you could participate in the famous last words. That's right, we made it there. Famous last words. Uh, it's it's like <laughs> a minute and a half of just free fall. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I, I legitimately have no clue. The parachute kicks in or the, the hang glider pops out of your backpack. Oh my goodness. Catch an updraft and we're back. <laughs> That's right. Famous last words. This is your chance to ask questions or make a statement about next week's fandom before we've done any of the research. Sometimes we know what we're getting into and sometimes we don't. Next week, I believe we have a special guest, the author of the Boss Fight Books Chrono Trigger book. Mm-hmm. And so what is everybody's famous last words around Chrono Trigger fandom? Got so many questions, but I can only choose one. So, is there a fan work, fan fiction, comic, video game, whatever, that is widely regarded as a true sequel to the story of Chrono Trigger? All right, G. Is there anyone out there who has attempted to write uh, Chrono Trigger into the Final Fantasy continuity? Ooh. Just because they're both Square games. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to quickly try to come up with something to give Nicola the chance to be the last person. Nicola, do you have any, do you have any context here? Do you yeah. know of Chrono Trigger? Or... I know of Chrono Trigger, okay. but I can't contribute anything <laughs> to any uh, thoughts about Chrono Trigger, unfortunately. Do you have any questions about the fandom? Well, because it's also Square, like you said, like, is the fan base very close to Final Fantasy in terms of demography, or is it, like, totally different? That's a good question. Yeah. And that leaves me on the spot. So I'm going to say... Has anybody written a musical about Chrono Trigger? I want to know that. Oh. Spotify Chrono Trigger musical. (laughs) If I've done so by next week, will that answer your question? (laughs) If you've done so by next week, when are we performing it? Eh. Live. <laughs> okay. <laughs> trial by fire, my favorite That's kind right. of trial, I guess. No rehearsal. No rehearsal. <laughs> That's it for the episode, aside from the fact that somebody, like me, should say, <laughs> Nicola, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. No worries. Or no walkers, as they say in this country. <laughs> if you don't know what that means, look it up. We have no worries everywhere now, but I feel like I also heard that we got that from Australia, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. You guys say that a lot. You say for sure, for sure. Yeah. Sure, That's sure. very Canadian. For sure, yeah. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, no worries. I'm very happy to come on and just mouth vomit. That would be very nice, which I feel like is what I've been doing, so... Hopefully that was educational, or maybe entertaining. Well, I couldn't think of anyone more qualified. I mean, he's really... Oh, there are plenty of people more qualified than me. I'm just like the apprentice scholar. There are some real, <laughs> real amazing people out there who really do know everything about heart, so... All right. For all four Nicks, allow me to say, until next time, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.
I missed the last part. Not nice at all. Got it. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the scientist inside me has to make rock jokes. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're all trying to think of one. Maybe. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. I, yeah. I know so many. <laughs> Let's rock. Yeah, I'll... Yeah, one more. Stalask <laughs> uh, <laughs> tight me later. All right, I'm going to do the plugs and then maybe <laughs> use that time to... I was desperately <laughs> trying to find a way to bring up my favorite mineral coming tonight. Yeah, it's so good. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's a classic joke. That's a, that's a real good one. When I was in undergrad, I used to have one of those shirts that had the you'll be and then the formula for coming tonight. Nice. Classic. <laughs> Absolute classic. Geology culture is a whole nother episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't done that yet. Oh, my goodness. Um, but, okay. Okay.